What's up, everybody? This is another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. I am your host, Patrick Jones, and on this episode, we have Trevor Amicon. Trevor is currently a hitting coach in the New York Yankees organization. This past year, he was in AAA, serving as their hitting coach there, but he's he's coached uh, college baseball, he's coached high school baseball, and so he brings a wide variety of experience to this episode, and I, I say that because we don't just solely talk about hitting. Because Trevor's background is, you know, is in college, so he knows a little about recruiting. He knows about working with high school kids. Uh, he comes from a baseball family. His mom is a, currently a softball coach. So, great episode, fantastic content. I love how simple Trevor keeps it, and I just think it's it's great anytime we can bring somebody on the podcast who has a great level of knowledge of not just hitting, but the game in general and coaching it and what it's really all about at the end of the day. So appreciate Trevor coming on. I, uh, I was so excited when we got done recording this episode because it was just, I couldn't wait to release it. I knew this episode is, is fantastic and you're going to enjoy it. One of the ways that we help grow this podcast and that this podcast is going to help reach more players and coaches and parents is by word of mouth. So if you enjoy the podcast, if you've gotten any value out of the podcast, please share this episode. Please share a past episode. Let's continue to help grow this thing so we can impact more players, which is the only real reason that we're doing this to begin with, right? It's to be able to help more players, impact them personally, and then also from a player development standpoint too. So hope you enjoy this episode with Trevor. Great dude, great coach, and please share the show. All right, Trevor, I appreciate you coming on on the podcast, and um, I got even more excited to have you come on the podcast after I was doing some research on you, and I found out, you know, you're a former play-by-play announcer. I mean, you've done a little bit of everything, but I first want to ask you, take me through, like, did you want to be in broadcasting before coaching, or how did that all all come about? Yeah, that's a great question, and I appreciate you having me on. Uh, The... (laughs) The broadcasting thing was was really interesting. I got done playing uh, and I got uh, banged up a little bit, hurt uh, after a year in college. Got done playing, um, went down to Utah Valley University uh, in Orem, Utah, and was just trying to finish my education and wanted to get into coaching some way, somehow was helping out a local high school. Um, and my dad, who's the general manager of the Angels AAA affiliate in Salt Lake, um, knew the Angels rookie level uh, general manager, which played on our campus there at Utah Valley. Uh, and this was back in uh, when they had short season, it was the, the Orem Owls. And so he recommended I walk across the street and, and see if there was anything that could get me in the door around the coaching staff. Most of the coaching staff I actually already knew. And so I figured if I could just get anything in the door, um, and be around the team, be around their meetings, be around BP, all of those things, you know, at, at least um, that would potentially get my foot in the door into coaching at the professional level. And this was, you know, oh, this was maybe 10 years ago now. So this was long before uh, professional baseball was, was hiring uh, anybody from outside the game who hadn't played at the professional level. So it was a long shot. I just walked across the street and somewhere there had been a miscommunication. I don't know if it was my dad. I don't know if it was the GM in, uh, in Orem, 
but somewhere somewhere there was a, a miscommunication and when i sat down with the general manager he he said hey we we actually do have something that's right up your alley it's the only job that we've got left we need a broadcaster <laughs> and i had never thought about it i had never it had never been an option for my degree at the time was going to be in in marketing so i had no like never had entered my mind that that's what i wanted to do and had he not said, hey, it's the only job we have available. It's the only job we have left. Had he not said that, I probably would have been like, actually, that's not what I'm interested in. But yeah. he said that, I was like, awesome, let's go. <laughs> and so sure enough, I, I ended up spending uh, four, four total years doing it uh, with a couple of years off in between to just uh, finish my education. But it, it did. I, I, I got to go in. Uh, to all their advanced meetings I got to you know by the by the end of my time there was hitting fungos and throwing BP and uh, got to know a lot of a, a lot of the players uh, who I still have uh, good relationships with a lot of those guys and uh, you know that's it it did it got me a foot in the door did you do you re do you respect broadcasters more now having been through that oh. and, and understand just how hard it is I mean, you hear people all the time online just complain about this broadcaster, that <laughs> broadcaster, right? I mean, I'm sure you see that too. It's so much harder though than than people think. I mean, did you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that that uh, there's there's an element there when when I'm watching a game that wants to complain about, usually does complain about what's being said on the broadcast, and but it, it does it ultimately like you've got to fill a lot of time with borderline very little to talk uh, borderline nothing to talk about and so there's stuff there's sometimes really stupid stuff comes out of your mouth and and it's happened to all of us and it's yeah. like that's i i didn't have to do it on a stage where it's like okay this is going to be a twitter meme for the next uh, <laughs> however long but so yeah there's there's some empathy that goes with that but it it would also be nice to get a, the next generation of broadcasters that understood things like spin rate and exit below and, and pitch shapes and all, all of those things. Sure. So after you get done broadcasting, like did, did you then know like, okay, you're starting to throw some BP, you're starting to do some fungo, like, man, I, I'm starting to to feel the momentum into, into becoming a coach. Like what happened after that? Yeah, there was, there was um, some potential opportunities to coach uh, at, at the professional level towards, towards the end. And uh, just with, uh, my life situation at the time, it was, it was more advantageous for me to, there was, I was offered a high school uh, head coaching job and um, it, I was uh, in a serious relationship and wanted to settle down. And, and uh, that was the better option for me. So I got, uh, I got into high school baseball at the time. So high school baseball, I, I think it was, it's so cool that you coached high school baseball and now you're in professional baseball, you've coached college baseball. So mm -hmm. there's so many different, roads we could go down here but I, I just think you know we, we have a lot of high school coaches who will be listening to this and college coaches as well what what is something that because I mean you're a different coach now than you were when you're coaching high school I'm sure mm -hmm. you've learned so much more about just coaching and just everything what's something that you wish you would have done differently had you if you could go back now as a high school coach I'm just asking that question I mean I know you can't go back and you know, it's all that stuff, but mm -hmm. I just think it would help out high school coaches who are coaching right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I thought of uh, when you asked that question was, I honestly, if, if I had to, to go back, I would, 
I would just enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that it's your default state as a coach to be ultra concerned about what could go wrong and, and trying to prevent that at all times, at least, at least that's my default state. And, and so I, I think at the time as a young coach, um, there was a lot of consistently worrying about thinking about trying to problem solve all the things that could go wrong and not enough enjoy, enjoying, like there's just a different, there's a different en- energy with, with kids when you're coaching, when you're coaching high school aged kids, there's, they're fun. They're, they're funny. It's uh, you know, you can create some pretty electric environments. Uh, I, I would have done more of that. I think I, I would have leaned into uh, the competition aspect uh, of making every practice uh, as game-like as, as possible, being able to really set the environment to mirror what they're going to experience. Cause at that level, like the, it's, it is their super super bowl. Every, every time they go out and play, um, they treat it like it's the world series. And so I, I think being able to mimic that in practice, uh, more would would be some somewhere that I would start but I think just enjoying mm-hmm. enjoying that time um, and, and being able to enjoy uh, the environments that they kind of naturally create and those experiences do you feel like the practices you had were, were just too easy um, I think there's a level uh, a level of that I think there's there's ways where you know there's there's plenty of research with error reduced learning and, and that not everything has to be game like not everything that you're doing which i think in in the world that we've that we've kind of created as coaching it's it's a in the coaching world there's there's a lot of buzzwords about creating game like environments as, as much as possible and environments that are representative of a game but there's also a lot of research that shows that not everything has to be game like you have to you have to be able to at sometimes turn the dial back and, and allow them to experience error reduced learning and to and it kind of it, the analogy that I use is, is that you you're marinating the brain you're you're marinating the nervous system to be able to adapt to allow the more difficult practice to be more effective to transfer more and so I, I wouldn't say that our practices were too easy, but I, I would have liked to mimic the things that transfer the most more often. And so I think that at the end of the day, it transfers when you when you create a small competition in a cage where it might be as small as two on two, but but two guys have to rely on each other. And when that creates that's at that age that's the most pressure that they're going to feel when they have somebody else relying on them appear, somebody that they respect or trust or look up to. That's the most pressure that they're going to feel. And that mimics the pressure that they're going to feel in a game. Something that small, the research has shown and my experience has shown that, that those, those things transfer. And so I think just, just being able to create situations that, you know will transfer into a game without necessarily making everything game like all the time that's great advice right there what about 
you know, you, you see a lot of the you know, pickoffs and, you know, cuts and relays and rundowns and first mm-hmm. and thirds and all that kind of stuff too. Do you think uh, high school coaches should still focus a, a lot of time and spend a lot of time on that stuff? Or is, is there a point where it's a, it's a little overkill? Yeah, I think there's definitely a point of diminishing returns. I think, I think you've got to do the things that are, are you, you have to consistently be working on the things that are going to happen the most in a baseball game. And ultimately the things that are happening the most in a baseball game are between those 60 feet, six inches and, and being able to find ways to win that battle um, is ultimately the way that, that you develop, uh, that you develop individual players the best. And, but also win and succeed and and i think that it is a fine line because ultimately it is going to be the one relay in a big spot in in an end of the year tournament or playoff type situation that wins or loses you a game but there is a point of diminishing returns it is a point where ultimately is it is it the player's confidence and talent and ability in that situation making the play or not making that play or is it is it the 2000 reps that they took over the course of the season doing it? Because there is a point where you know that the more you do, the, the more that the transfer is going to plateau. So it is a fine line, but ultimately you have to work on the things that are going to happen the most in a baseball game. Well, yeah. And that makes so much sense. Like work on the stuff that's going to, that's, that is going to happen the most. I'm, I'm glad you, you said that. So you coach high school baseball, you know, and then now you're now you're coaching college baseball, right? And you're moving on. You're now you're coaching college baseball before professional, and we'll get into that later on. What was what was that transition like from from high school to college? Was it what you expected, or was it kind of you know like oh, I wasn't really expecting this? Not necessarily good or bad. Like what what was your reaction when you started coaching in college? Uh, it it there were some things that were expected. Uh, I think the biggest transition for me was there's kind of this veneer as you come into college baseball, same with professional baseball, you look around and you think, look like everybody here knows what they're doing. Like you see the 15, 20 coaches come recruit a game when you're a high school coach and you look up there and everybody's got the logo on and everybody's, they, they have a very certain look to them that says, I know what I'm doing. And getting getting there and getting inside that world, you kind of realize, you know what? There's still a lot of competitive advantage here because like most things in life, nobody knows what they're doing, including myself. <laughs> like you, you, you just it's it's who gets it's who ultimately gets closest to the reality of what's going what is actually happening. And I think that when you look at when you look at the world of college baseball, whether it's recruiting, whether it's um, just the the product that get put on the field, there there's a lot of room to to find a competitive advantage. There's a lot of room to be able for for those who do know how to create a culture, who do know how to create uh, confidence and master the basics, uh, for you to be able to go in and and make make a significant impact. 
I love what you just said about, and I, I resonate exactly with what you just were, were talking about when you said, you know, you, you assume that everybody are, knows what they're doing because they look official. And <laughs> I remember even playing in high school too, where it's like, man, all these coaches are here. And, and I, you just assume that everyone knows every single little thing about the swing and what I'm doing right and wrong. And dude, you are, you are a hundred percent right. And I, I just want to emphasize that again to everybody listening of what Trevor just said, where, you know, not, not everybody knows everything about everything, right? There's a lot of people out there who, and that's not to say that they're not trying to learn, but don't just assume that, you know, because a certain school or whatever is, you know, saying this about you that, you know, you can't play at this level. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true. And so I'm, I'm really am glad that you, you brought that up. My next question for you is something I just thought of is, because I, I could tell just by how you answer that question, you, you start talking about chemistry, you start talking about competitive advantage. And so my mind goes, okay, so if, if Trevor, if Trevor's a, a head coach, like let's say you're a head college baseball coach right now, like what are some of the things that, that you would implement to help you create a competitive advantage amongst everybody else based on what you've seen? That's a great question. I, I think, I, I think everything in recruiting can be streamlined. I think that, a lot of times coaches and will make recruiting not more difficult than it is, but more complex than it needs to be. And I, I think that there's a lot of things that can be done in the recruiting world to, to make yourself more efficient at it so that you've got the time and the ability to be able to make the most important things remain the most important things. And so I, I think, you know, I, the, the analogy that I always use with the coaching world in general, but also, uh, you know, the social media world, uh, um, both inside and outside coaching, just in general, is that if you look at the stock market, there's a lot of people who are labeled experts at the stock market. And there's a lot of people that have made it significantly more complicated to participate in the stock market. And a lot of that is, as the is, is simply as a means of keeping more people out of it. And if I can appear smarter, mm -hmm. if I can make this look really complicated and I'm inside of it and I'm having success with it, I would, I will appear smarter. And, and so there's a, a level of job security to that. But there's also a level of it's really not that complicated. And if you can really get down to the first principles of it, you can do a really good job with of it and not sacrifice any level of success. And so I think you say the same thing looking at hitting Twitter, looking at the world, uh, which which, you know, I got a significant amount of interviews from social media. So I'm by no means say I'm not I'm not that guy. I'm not by any means saying that social media is bad but i think that there's a lot of voices out there in in the hitting world in specifically but everywhere where making things seem more complicated than they are is an attempt to make you look smarter than you are um in order to get more clients, in order to get get the next job, in order to have job security for yourself, and that's that's where I think just eliminating that veneer of having to look like you 
you've got it all figured out as well as just streamlining the, the recruiting process in, in general. How do you think college coaches make it look harder than it actually is? I think, I, I think that there's a lot of there's being inside of it. You see how, how planning just simply planning um, makes a huge difference. And the best coaches in the game are, have their days planned to the minute and, and are able to, prioritize the things that keep themselves sane and, and happy and healthy, which allows them to do their, which simply just allows them to do their job better. So I, I don't, I don't think that, uh, that at the highest levels of college baseball, I don't think at the lowest levels of college baseball, you, 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 you definitely have to pound the pavement and you have to do the work, but, there's just so much more by, by way of, of communicating with guys at, at this point than having to have the 20 hour days. Even, even though that there's, there's so many players out there and social media and people tagging you and, and all that, even with all that, you still feel like there's, there's better way. I, yeah. I, I think that when you're looking at, you're looking at the coaches that have done it the best in, in any sport in college, they have a system that system and and there there is a certain amount of winning that you have to do and there is a certain amount of of building a program that you have to do before it's it's possible to do this but they have a system they they know exactly who they're looking for they know the type of player that they're looking for uh, Nick Saban's got every position down to the most minute details got every single position the exact type of player that he's looking for uh, down to how how fast they run a 40-yard dash to the the range of height and weight that they have to be or or be projected to be all of those things that i think it it, it goes a long way if you're coaching at the college level to have a type of or to have a system that you're looking that you have a club coach calls you that guy's so-and-so's type of player like that that changes the game for you uh, as a recruiter rather than the guys that chase their tails going oh this guy this guy is the number one ranked uh catcher in the southeastern united states i have to have him like if you have a system if you have a brand and i'm not talking like big you got to have a big alabama football type of brand but a brand of the way that you play the game a brand of the type of player that comes to your program that takes care of a lot of the recruiting uh, in and of itself. That's great advice, man. Great advice on the flip, on the flip side, how, if you're a player, how, like what, how should players go about help trying to get recruited to go and, and play? You, you just gave some, first of all, that was terrific advice. Uh, that you just gave to college coaches. And I, and I love when you talk about making things more complicated than they are, which you're a thousand percent right on that on and hitting recruiting, just really everything um, in life. It doesn't need to be complicated, but on the, on the flip side, since you have been a college coach and, and, you know, been recruiting everything you, from a player's perspective, what advice would you give them? Uh, I, I think the biggest thing is to reframe what recruiting is like guys get missed. It's, you know, I, I coached at what is now, it's uh, what's now Utah tech uh, used to be Dixie state. And, and we were at the time transitioning into a mid-major division one program. Uh, 
and, and the amount of guys that I would hear that we would recruit that I would hear club coaches or local high school coaches uh, say, well, we've, you've got no shot at this kid. The, the amount of those guys that we would recruit and, and ultimately get because you, you just realize again, nobody knows what they're doing. So including, including myself, but if, if you have enough confidence uh, in, in your ability to evaluate talent that you can, you can, look at a kid, know that he fits your program, know that he fits the type of player that, that you can develop, that, that you can improve upon. If you go into that, that process early with a kid, those guys get missed all the time. Like you, that's, it's probably the number one piece of advice I can give kids trying to get recruited is guys get missed. It happens. And that's okay. But you have to be like, you have to be proactive. It's, it's not, you're not lost on a mountain with a search party coming to look for you. That's not, that is not what recruiting is. It's what it appears to be from the outside, but there is a very small percentage of players that that's what it's like. And so if you're not one of those guys, be proactive. You, you just, you have to be proactive and you have to have confidence in yourself to know that guys like, guys get missed. And, and those were the types of players that we wanted when I was coaching in college was the guys that, that had the confidence in themselves to know, yeah, USC wasn't knocking on the door. UCLA wasn't knocking on my door, but I'm going to go out and prove why they should have been. And I think if, if you have that confidence in yourself to, to be proactive enough, you will find the right program for you that ultimately maximizes your talent ability. Mm. Trevor, I, I'm so happy that that you're coaching for the Yankees and you know, you know, in professional baseball. And I don't know what your dreams are, but selfishly, I want you, I would want you to come hang out with me in the private sector. I would I'd love to pick your brain every every week, man. This is incredible content for for people listening. I it really is. Um wh- when it comes to the the recruiting and and players looking at, you know, certain schools and and programs and things like that, and and just trying to figure out like what's the right fit. Cause you, I think a big part of it is, you know, you got kids, they don't know what camps to go to. They get these camps invites. I mean, did you utilize social media as, as a coach? Did you recruit off social media at all? Oh, no question. I mean, I I think with a a limited budget, any mid-major school is, is going to have to. And, and I think uh, it's shocking how many, um, how many contacts are, are, are made that initial contacts are made that way now. And, and so you, you have to be present online uh, if you're trying to get recruited. It's, I think it's, it's vital. I think it's vital to make sure that your social media is, is cleaned up. I mean, I, I can't tell you how many guys that, that even just like pique your interest when you're at a recruiting event that you just pull up Twitter and, and search their name. And it's just a very quick, nope, I'm out. Like really? I, I don't be watching that kid anymore because really? of what's on his social media or, Oh, interesting. Like he looks like he's got it together. He looks like these, you know, he um, is taking care of, uh, of his personal life. It looks like things, you know, are, it looks like there's a mature kid that that's mm-hmm. going to be able to contribute to our program and our culture. Um, and it's just a, for me, I used it a lot as a filtering 
system to, to how much more time do I have to spend watching this kid? Um, and if, if he is, is talented and his social media is, is, uh, in whatever way that there are turnoffs there, uh, I don't, I'm going to let those 30, 40 coaches waste their time on him. Interesting. So even, even when you go and, and look up a kid on the social media, it may not be that he's necessarily posting inappropriate content. It's just, you can tell that the pictures or videos, whatever, like this just isn't a mature kid. Like it's just the, the faces he's making on his pictures. Is that kind of what you mean too? Yes and no. I think, I think there are different levels of what, what's going to turn different coaches uh, onto a kid based on what's on their social media. You know, I, I think that uh, obviously there are maturity issues that are going to get filtered out as the kid matures. Um, but I mean, the, anything inappropriate is obviously a, 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 an absolute, no, I don't care how talented you are, um, is uh, that's, that's a turnoff to most programs in the country. But yeah, there are levels of, of, of things that you see on social media that you know, determine, uh, determine how much time you're going to, you're, you're going to invest in a kid. Trevor, what would you attribute to the skills that you have as a coach? Like what, what would be, if you could pick one thing, you know, there's, there's different courses out there. There's, you know, there's podcasts, there's everything. And there's obviously experience too. coaching, you know, some people have mentors, all that kind of stuff. If you could pick one thing, like what's been the, the biggest key to, to, to your success so far in your coaching journey? Growing up, uh, growing up in it, I mean, honestly, uh, if I could pinpoint one thing, it'd be my mother. Yeah. I, I mean, she she is the best coach I know. She's the best coach. You got to get your mom on the podcast sometime. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, she She's incredible. And she the success that she's had, um, as a college softball coach, uh, is, is incredible. And growing up around that, I, I, I mean, I remember at like age six, some of my earliest five, six years old, some of my earliest memories were running around barefoot uh, around a softball complex somewhere, uh, and <laughs> pretending, writing a lineup and keeping score and pretending I was managing the game. And, and so I think just growing up in that and knowing from a young age that coaching, uh, was something I felt called to do. I think it, it immediately set you on a, a course of learning of, uh, all right, this is, this is what I, I feel like I'm, I'm meant to be doing. I've got to learn everything I can. And that was, I mean, I was never, I was never good enough to play at the professional level. It was never going to happen. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, that realization really didn't hit until, uh, until high school, uh, late high school. Uh, but I always knew that I, regardless of what happened to my playing career, I wanted to coach. And that was from, uh, you know, growing up around a triple A clubhouse in Salt Lake city. That was from growing up around teams and cultures that, that my mom had built with her programs that watching kind of the magic uh, behind the curtains was was very uh, appealing to me. And and I just think growing up around it, growing up in it um, was was definitely uh, the biggest thing for me. What's the best piece of advice your mom has given you as a coach? 
um, the players the players know who who can add value to their career. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think it's everywhere I've been at every level I've been in. It they know almost immediately. It's amazing, but they know almost immediately who they can trust and who they can't. They know almost immediately who is capable of making them better. And if you're there and you're present and you're prepared, they will run through a wall for you. And and I think uh, just allowing yourself to be prepared and available for players, they'll see that you can provide value. They'll see that you can make them better. And, and it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you, especially this day and age, there's still a lot of some of that in the game, but in, at, at this point in, in the progression of baseball as an industry, they don't care if, if they know you can make them better, they're, they're going to trust you. Most guys. Yeah. Would you say that, when you say like help make them better, I mean, how, how, how would coaches, I guess that's, is that different for different levels? Like maybe for some levels, it's more on the mental side and approach side and other levels it's, you know, more so on the, you know, physical side, like it, or is it just the same thing everywhere? No, it's definitely different everywhere. I mean, I think, I think this last year, last year was a, a complete contrast uh, in me with, with the Yankees where a year ago I was in the DR and, and um, coordinating two teams in, in the DSL. And those guys, like, one, it's still – it doesn't matter the language barrier. They know whether or not you can, you can make them better. Mm. But with them, they also – they want to know if you'll stop and have a conversation with them, whether you can at that point in your Spanish learning career or not. They want to know that, that you care at all. And, and if you can just take two minutes to stop – and, and ask them how they're doing without it being a flyby, a flyby, hey, how you doing? Like, if you can stop and say, actually, how, how are you doing? How you doing? Like, how, how are you feeling? How's your body feeling right now? Just two minutes will mean the world to them versus at the AAA level this year, they, they got to know that they're going to test you. They got to know that you know what you're doing. And they're going to ask you your opinion. They're going to they're going to test that you'll actually give them your opinion, rather than just agreeing with with guys. And uh, I I think it's it's a different type of of test, but it's a test that no at no matter what level you're at. So some guys would would come to you at AAA and they would they would ask a question that they would know that the, the like the the answer that most people would give and so you would you just basically weren't a yes man they just want to make sure that you weren't a yes man yeah, yeah no question I, I i think you got we we had a, a an older team this year uh in in scranton with uh with our triple a club that we had at one point uh early in the season with the amount of uh minor league free agents that we had signed we had 54 combined years of service time just among our position players. So those are guys, those are guys that are going to test you. I mean, those, those are guys that are are going to make sure that you're not just going to nod your head and, and agree with everything that they say. And I, I think that if you are prepared and you're able 
to to tell them what you think and they they're going to know pretty quickly whether or not they can trust you as well they're going to know real fast uh whether or not uh you you are going to be able to to earn their respect what's the biggest difference between great and good players i that's a great question and i think that when this question gets asked there honestly there is a lot of of things that uh, a lot of the answers are things that you think people want to hear and and honestly it's it's talent like mm-hmm. ultimately ultimately the greatest players in the world have have more talent than everybody else now does that mean that that there's nothing you can you can do about it to max it to go from good to great maximize your talent no, but there's there's a lot of untapped talent that's that's out there. There's a lot of people that can hit the ball really, uh, really hard that can't do it often. There's a lot of really talented people that uh, make great swing decisions and can't hit the ball hard. And that is an elite skill to be able to have that you can also you can develop the areas around it that tap into the talent that you do have so i think i mean ultimately there are a whole lot of really good players that don't become great players because they do not tap into there there's just so much unexpressed talent out there do you think, though, outside of of the physical talent, you know, everyone, the, the freaks of the world, talk about, you know, the mental side, dealing with failure. I was listening to you on a podcast earlier. You brought up a great point about about just mentally. Some people, you know, macro, and I think you said macro and, and micro mental toughness between, you know, one game pressure situation versus 162 game season yeah. and the differences, which I thought was really cool can't that be trained though? I mean, there's, there's so many amazing things that I've seen human beings do mm-hmm. in, in all aspects of life. I mean, don't you think if a player wanted it that bad, if they were that hungry, don't you think they could make those changes? Yeah. I, I think that, um, I, I 100% think that, that guys can make those changes. I think there's a difference to, to elaborate on your point uh, and explain a little bit about, what I believe is, is a macro level toughness versus okay. a micro toughness. I think that like there are guys that you want up in the bottom of the ninth with the bases loaded down by two who are not necessarily the same guys that are going to be able to be the same guy every day for 162 games. Now there are guys that are that do both. And those are, those are the guys that are, are the, the mentally toughest out there. But I think that there there are multiple kinds of toughness. There are multiple different ways in which there are, to me, toughness is being able to be what the situation in front of you requires you to be in order to overcome it with whatever it is. And there are, there are different people who are different types of tough in different situations. Mm. I can tell you right now, I'm not very tough when it's cold <laughs> right now. Like it's the California jeans in me. I'm not very tough when it's cold. Um, but if you 
if if you get me on a stationary bike on a on a peloton and and we're gonna go one v one, I'm I'm gonna beat you. Like I don't care. I don't care uh, how tired I am. I don't care how fat I am. I don't care how out of shape I am. I'm gonna beat you. And and I think that different situations bring out different types of toughness in different people. And so I, I think to answer your original question, when you when you look at what is possible. I think that the, the players that do go from good to great and that do maximize their talent are the ones that know themselves extremely well, but carry a growth mindset into everything that they do and that they will never stop learning. It's, it's one of the things that I'm most impressed about with, with some of our players here at the highest levels where man, they're, they want to learn, like they want to get better. And, and again, if, if they know that you can provide value for them, they're going to listen and, tr and try to learn from you. And that's, those are the guys that go from good to great. Mm. Those are the guys that where at the end of the day, it is talent that takes you from good to great. But the ones that maximize their talent versus the, the players who leave their some talent on the table are the ones who've decided I, I'm never going to be good enough. I, I need to learn as much as I can. I, but I know myself to know well enough to know that's not for me. I know myself well, well enough to know that's not going to help me. So meanwhile, the, one, the players who leave talent on the table are the guys that have decided that they, they've got it figured out. So growth mindset. Growth mm -hmm. mindset that, that if you could pick like two words, it'd be the, 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 to answer that question, it would be growth mindset from what you've seen. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. That's really good stuff. What advice I mean, I mean, you, you saw, sorry to interrupt. You no, saw go for with, it. Like there's a, the, there's a the viral video, like how good has Aaron judge been for so long. Right. And then there's the viral video going around Twitter right now is where he's in the off season telling somebody, Hey, like I'm hitting 50 this year. Right. Like that's, that's the best player in the world saying I'm not satisfied and I'm not leaving any talent on the table. And sure enough, this year he's, he has not done that. Yeah. It's yeah. It, you're yeah. You're hundred percent right. It's, it's making that decision that like, I want to be good. Like I want to be great. Like whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's, that's really good stuff. What, what advice would you have knowing what you know of, of what makes, players you know very very good at a high level especially with your mom and softball whether it's softball or baseball hitter I, I don't it doesn't matter what would what's your advice what's your advice to someone like me who works with a lot of high school kids to get them ready to 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 reach their potential at that next level so i i think that coaching coaching is no different we talked earlier about guys that, that make things uh too complicated yeah. Um, and people think if if coaching gets made into be like this this mysterious thing that people have a certain knack for or they don't um that makes coaches look like they're that like the the old phrase is like the sage on the stage and now i think what's in vogue instead is is everybody wants to be the sage behind the stage pulling the strings 
creating the perfect environment, you know, manipulating constraints and getting, uh, you know, just becoming that, that, for lack of a better term, that wizard that creates this magical environment where players get better. But I think the science has always been there. Like, ultimately, what you're doing is you're trying to develop human beings to become better at a task. That science has been there for decades. The research has been there. The research on education and parenting has been there for decades. If you want to create, which ultimately my goal as a coach is to create somebody uh, to, to create enough talent in the player and enough ability in that player to go coach himself at the next level. I'm not as a triple A hitting coach for the New York Yankees. My job is not to make sure that we have the best hitting team in AAA. Now that'd be nice. And that's, and that's great when that happens, but my job is to prepare them for the big leagues. And if I'm not asking them to do something on a day-to-day basis that prepares them for the big leagues, you got to prepare them for the game in front of you and you got to prepare them for the big leagues. Mm. And that's a level, like all of the research on, on making uh, on helping human beings develop into secure, confident, talented people says that they have you as a coach, you as a teacher, you as a parent have got to be uh, the research uses the the phrase uh, you've got to have some sensitivity. I like I prefer per- perceptivity like you you've got to be able to perceive the environment and perceive reality. You've got to know, what's actually happening. You've got to be able to perceive when something's up with the player, when there's a question that they're not asking, when there's um, something off. Um, the research just says you, you've got to be perceptive. You've got to be available. Like how, how well do you take care of yourself to have enough? Like I found that the biggest obstacle for me in being available to my players is that I'm tired. Like when I'm tired, when I need to, to, uh, when when I'm just drained of energy, I'm hungry, whatever it is, I I am less likely to take that two minutes to say, hey, how are you doing? And when the player says back, I'm okay, instead of just like treating it like, hey, I was just asking as we're walking different directions down a hallway, how are you doing? Like that ability to sit down, be present with them and have a conversation. If you're not taking care of yourself, you can't be available. Uh, and, and then the two other aspects of it is that you need to be responsive. Like, okay, you're, you're, you've perceived that there's an issue. You're available uh, to those play uh, to those players. Um, and now are you capable of responding? Do you have the toolkit to be able to respond effectively to help them make an adjustment to help them get better? And then the last thing is, the, is demandingness. Like you've, you've got to be willing and capable of demanding, hey, look, like this might get you ready to play today's game and to have success against this pitcher. But is are you doing the work that is allowing you to be prepared to play in the big leagues? And if you're not, either I haven't created the relationship to be able to ask you to do those things and to, and to be able to get you to buy into doing those things, or I'm, I'm simply not demanding uh, enough of you. So those four things, that is, that's been in the research for decades. And I think if we get away from that, like just just keep it simple. As a coach, if you're trying to develop human beings, that should be your goal. That should be what you develop. 
is, is your ability to, to perceive accurately your availability, your ability to respond in, in a way that the situation in front of you requires and the player and the human being in front of you requires. And then you've, you've got to demand what it takes because a coach that demands nothing from you will not be able to make uh, anything of you. Mm. That's, that's audio gold right there, man. I mean, if you're listening, I, I would just hit the replay button and just listen to that segment that, that Trevor just, just said right there. That was incredible, incredible, really good content. Uh, you know, it, when you say take care of yourself, you mean, do you also mean just, uh, and maybe you did mean this, I know you mentioned, you know, not eating and sleeping, but do you also mean like coaches, like just physically, like working out, taking care of their body that way? The reason, the reason I uh, interpreted it that way is for when I started coaching just high school baseball, I put on a lot of weight because I got done playing and all I wanted to do was just coach and just not worry about myself anymore. And I found that I just, I wasn't as good of a coach because I didn't feel good about myself. You know what I mean? And I didn't, I wasn't able to be present because in the back of my mind, I knew that I wasn't pushing myself to be the best version of me and taking care of me. And so I don't know if that's kind of what you meant when you said that, but I know for me, working out regularly, nutrition, all that stuff has made me a better coach because when I'm working with hitters, I'm not worrying about, did I take care of myself or not? No, there's no question. There's That's exactly what I meant is, okay. is you have to take care of yourself physically you get, you got to work out. You, you got to, and, and even if it's not working out to, you know, to get ripped, like you, you got to work out. Like it's, it's, it's as fundamental to mental health as anything that you got to physically move. And so, you know, you got to eat right. You got to work out. You got to sleep well. You got to take care of yourself. Uh, it, because again, I'll, I'll tell you one of the, one of the things that a, a, a former player of mine told me, that's probably like cut to the heart more than anything, any player, any piece of feedback, any players ever given me was a kid that I coached in high school. And a few years after he graduated, um, it, he came down and visited us when I was coaching in college and we went to lunch and, and, you know, talked about old times and he made, he made a comment where he just said, you know what, I could tell it was going to be a good practice based on the mood that when you walked into the dugout, whether or not it was going to be a good practice. If you were in a good mood, we were going to have a great practice. If you weren't, it was going to be tough. And man, that like cut to my core because that should never, ever enter in, into the development of a player. So from that point on, I just, I, I promised myself that I would take care, take care of myself because the majority of the reasons I would show up to the yard in a bad mood is if I was tired is if, you know, I, I wasn't physically taking care of myself. Um, and it is one of the biggest obstacles to just being present with guys, just being where your feet are is, are you healthy? Like how, how well do you physically take care of yourself? How capable are you of, uh, of sitting with a player? And, and I, I, don't mean that like physically sitting down with a guy, but I'm how capable are you? Are you just sitting in his emotion in, in what, what he is feeling, thinking, you know, where he's at in his own development. If you're not capable of doing that, you're going to be leaving, you're going to be leaving some development on the table. Mm. Man, I tell you what, the, the, the things that are coming to my mind right now, actually, the, the first thing that just came to my mind is 
I don't even know what I'm going to title this episode because you, you've expanded on no, I seriously, you've expanded on so many topics in such a intelligent way that it's like, man, I could do, we could go recruiting. We could go coaching high school. We could go professional. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different things. It's, it's awesome. It's incredible. Um, my, my last question for you, my last question for you is there's, there's coaches out there that listening to you or listening to your story that, you know, you, they, they, okay. Now they've heard you've coached in high school, you've coached in college. Now you're, you know, you're in AAA, the hitting coach for the New York Yankees working with some of the best players in the world. And they want to be like you, they want to get to your spot, your, you know, where you're at. What advice would you give those, those coaches, those young coaches out there? Biggest one to me is is go out and get results because I think the best organizations in the world. One, you don't want to work in professional baseball in the wrong organization. I'm I'm grateful through the roof. Uh, couldn't be more grateful to be surrounded by the people that that I'm surrounded with in the Yankees organization, specifically in our hitting department with you know Dylan Lawson, our director of uh, of hitting. Casey Dykes is is one of our big league assistants. And, and Joe Migliaccio is, is our current coordinator. Jake Hurst is at double A. Like those guys, these, these guys are some of the most brilliant people I've ever been around. And, and I, on a daily basis, sit on phone calls with them or sit in the same office with them and feel like the dumbest guy in the room. And it, I, I think that you, the first thing is you don't, you don't want to be in the wrong organization. A, a lot of guys just want to get into professional baseball you don't want to be in professional baseball in an organization that doesn't value results, doesn't value your ability to, to develop the people in front of you. So figure out what works and get, and go out and get results. And that should be what you hang your hat on as you're going through interview processes with organizations is your ability to get results. And if that's not valued, and I, I interviewed with, with a little bit over, ended up interviewing with a little bit over half of the league. Oh, wow. It wasn't, it wasn't valued by some organizations. It, sh it was shocking to me. Um, but those are organizations you don't, you don't want to be in. And I think that uh, the ability to get results is, is where you should hang your hat throughout that process. But I think you should just pay attention to the people that do get results mm -hmm. and learn from them. And, and you're going to learn that it all comes back to that, to those basics, uh, that if you practice that on a daily basis, you know, if you're observing, if you're listening to guys, then you're, you're going to develop the skill of, of being perceptive. And, and if you develop that skill, you're, you're going to be really good. Um, you're going to be really good at, at being responsive to the, the actual needs of the player rather than just the assumed needs of the player. You know, and if you take, if you're taking care of yourself, again, it's a very basic thing and you're going to be available for your players. If you practice on a daily basis, being present with individual guys, you're going to hone that skill of being available. And then if, if you create relationships where you can demand the best of, of your guys, then the results are going to take care of themselves. But, but that's, that's the biggest thing to me. Trevor, it's been a, been a pleasure, man. I mean, I did so, so happy. We, we got to have you on here and appreciate you coming on. I mean, you're, you know, up working with, you know, players right now in the playoffs and everything. So we, we appreciate it. And it's, 
uh, man, I could talk to you forever. So we got to get you back on eventually. We got to get your mom on though. So your mom sounds like a badass. I mean, we, we really do need to get her on and love to pick her brain about coaching too. So especially Absolutely. I'm doing a lot more stuff in softball now. So mm-hmm. I, I would, would love to love to have her on, but I appreciate you coming on, man. It's says great, great content. I mean, it's so beneficial. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on. And uh, I'm sure one, I'm sure she would love to do it. And two, uh, she she's going to be much better content than, than <laughs> I can appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thank you.